Hi, and welcome to another episode here at Supernatural Confessions Podcast, where it is a safe place for you to confess all your experiences, be it supernatural, myths, urban legends, superstitions, or even the unknowns. And as a team, we'll compile and feature your confessions on our platforms. You may reach out to us through our Facebook page or website. You just need to search supernaturalconfessions.com and you are also invited to join us every Friday night on our Facebook Live where Eugene, the founder of Supernatural Confessions, together with Sonia Kurana and I, host a weekly live show discussing all about the supernatural. And I'm Kim, your host for this podcast series. And now, let's get on to the confessions. New week, new confession. This week, we're going to feature quite a number of confessions from Malaysia. And the first story, it's by Nick Castaway. Although now Nick is in Singapore, but the story happens in Raub Pahang. And I'm pretty sure whatever Nick experienced had been experienced by other people who had the same hobby. So if you are listening to this, and you have the same story to share, drop us a text. You know where to find us. So here's a story from Nick Castaway. People say that the mystical beings are still well and alive in the jungles. The Orang Bunian makes their home deep in such beautiful places. You may have heard some of the stories here and there from the older kampong folk or villages if you venture often enough into such places. This is a personal story of mine. Before the pandemic lockdowns, I used to travel to many places in Malaysia for spot fishing, dams, forest inlets, offshore, and of course, white water rapids and rivers. This is a tale from Rau Pahang. The year was 2017. It was late August. My friend Zaid and I travelled from KL, Kuala Lumpur, to Pahang in my station wagon with an intent to fish for tengas in the rapids. It was a good scenic drive. We were happy to see each other again for after almost a year of not venturing on road trip. A lot of catching up to do. We arrived at the small town of Raub in the afternoons. And after a quick snack of kampong nasi lemak and kopi or, mm, we headed off into the dirt trails. We parked the station wagon near a stream and started to set up our fishing roads. We decided to spend perhaps an hour or so to see what was available, like a preview, before we reached the main rapids ahead, since it was a connecting stream. We entered the waters. It was pleasantly cooling and very clear. We could see the bottom of the stream, the rocks, the plants, it was not very deep. Some spots were only waist deep. We casted and casted, but there was not much action. It was okay. We were enjoying the beauty of untouched nature as well. We waded perhaps seven to 800 meters from entry point, and then we realized 
it was dead quiet. There were no sounds of the birds or insects. Strangely quiet. I then look at Zaid. He said he was not feeling good as well. Neither was I. We approach each other and discuss. So how? Turn back? Yeah. Seems the both of us has this feeling of being stalked. We both could feel it. So we turn back. We managed to get to the station wagon without further drama. I then started the car and began to drive to our destination. It was a rustic homestay run by Amachi and her sons. We spoke of changing lures and the lack of bites. Perhaps there has been mounting fishing pressure over the years. Hence, no action, we concluded. We reached our campsite at around 4pm. We greeted Amachi and were shown to our hut beside the main bear pits. We said our thanks, we paid her and asked her to prepare some dinner for us later before she wrapped up for the day. We said we would return at around 7 or 8.30 for we wanted to fish first. Catching the last light for an angler is a big thing. The transition from day to night may bring huge catches. Without wasting time, we hit the waters on foot and ventured away from all the bathers and family activities near the homestay. We trekked in for about an hour and I took a photo. If you wanted to check the photo, remember to go to our SC private group, It Must Be The Hantu, whereby Nick posted the photo day. Then I said, this looks good, let's start casting. Zaid and I worked different sides of the bank, casting and hoping that our target would be found, a good tanga specimen of 1kg plus. A very good fighter and also a very testy fish. When the sun started its journey down at about 6pm or so, I suddenly felt strange. The same feeling of being stalked. I could hear the sounds of rapids, the birds and the insects. But it was strange and eerily calm. And then suddenly at the corner of my eye, I saw a black figure hop over some rocks behind me. I snapped and turned around, but there was no one. I hoped over some rocks myself to get a good casting position and also a good lookout. Again, the figure flashed across at the corner of my eye, this time on the other side of the bank. I was like, hey, that's fast. How did he cross the rapid so fast? I was right in the middle of the river perched on a rock. I then look about for Zaid. He was nowhere to be seen. I call out, Oi! Manani! Oi, where are you? I heard his voice in front. Oi! Depan lah! Which indicate he is in front. Hmm, I thought to myself, I didn't recall him passing me. Perhaps I was too engrossed in fishing, so I didn't notice. Without replying, I started to wade to the front, hoping to see him. After a bit of wading, still no sight. But the eerie calmness remained. I casted my bait again and waited, this time fully aware of my surroundings, especially my six o'clock. 
I then saw the black figure again. It's always at the corner of my eyes, but when I turned back to face it, I couldn't see it. I was like, what is this? What is stalking me? I then knew it was not human nor animal. I started to head back, but with an effort to be calm and strong, I was trying to show no fear. The journey was long. The rapids was working against me. I was going against the current. The last of the daylight was slipping away. I know I needed to hurry up. I hoped on a higher position on a bigger rock for a better view to plan my movements. Again, the thing was still following because I see it flash across the banks appearing from the corner of my left eye and me catching it again in the corner of my right eye. This time, I stood still. And when it appeared, I did not look back. But I tried to study it by just looking hard right with my eyeballs. Not to move my head or my body. What I see was a dark humanoid figure. Somewhere between a shadow and a smoky appearance. But definitely a solid figure. Not transparent. And it had two red eyes. It crouched on a rock four o'clock behind me and it was watching. My blood ran cold. I know this is not an animal nor something I am prepared to deal with. I quickly packed and tore down my fishing boat, tightened my backpack. This is going to be the run of my life, I exclaimed loudly. Ah, what a beautiful day. Such a nice place. It's okay if I don't get anything. I still enjoy this beautiful domain. I skip off from my high post and dash through the water. Swam when I needed. I got to the side banks to run when there was a clearing. The jungle is thick. You can't run through the vegetation. That's why sometimes wading or swimming is faster. It seemed like a very long journey. But I know I was about only one kilometer at the most from campsite at this stage. I recognized some landmarks like a fallen tree log. The presence of the dark figure remains. It seemed to be chasing, but not closing in for the kill. I ran harder, skipped and jumped the rocks. Small cuts are ignored at this stage. I just needed to reach the campsite. And at last, I made it. And it was just about to fall to darkness. And I saw Zaid was there. He was like, Oi, kamu pergi mana ni? Tak nampak tadi pun? So I sat him down. I explained. After he asked me, where did I go? And then he was shocked. He said he felt it too. He tried calling out for me, but there was no answer. We were both very, very relieved at this stage. We both had crawling skins by now. And then we cancelled whatever activity we planned for the night. We just get into bed early. The next morning, we went to the marching to get breakfast. But we are all packed up, not staying for another day. The decision was just to drive back to Kuala Lumpur for a good makan time instead. We were told by the marching that this is actually a common thing. The entity probably did not like our presence. Hence, no fish was given and also the chasing nature of it.
I guess we were lucky. It just wanted us out of its territory. So, it just chased us out. You are listening to Supernatural Confessions. If you have your own confessions to share, reach out to us on our Facebook or website, Supernatural Confessions. Remember, you are not alone. Whatever I wanted to say about Nick's story was exactly like how Yati Sina posted. Thank God you made it here to tell us the story. That's definitely not Bunian, but that's the security guard of that place. Another Maleficent looking after its territory. The next confession is by Desmond, and this incident happened in Lundu, Kuching, Sarawak, and is voiced by Eugene Tay. It's about an abandoned project site, and Desmond's company were asked to restore the place. Well, the place had been abandoned for quite some time, so something decided to make it a home. The story happens in 2016, where the company that I am working for got a project from an energy company that is in Lundu. Lundu is a small town that is very near to the sea and located roughly about 80 kilometers from Kuching City. The project is to restore a hydro power plant that has been abandoned for quite a period of time. The original owner of the plant actually built it many years ago, used it for just a few years, and for unknown reasons. Abandoned the place entirely. It was left empty until 2016, when the new owners wanted to restore the plant. So for the company I work for, our project scope is to clean the place up, replace all mechanical parts, change whatever that needs changing, to get the plant up and running. Due to the abandonment, what used to be an access road is now overgrown with wild ferns and grass. So the restoration of the access roads falls under our job scope as well. For my first site visit there as a supervising engineer, I noticed a gigantic water tank at the site. I climbed the rusty ladder to the top and looked inside. The tank used to hold water, but was now filled with rocks and sand. That's odd, but I did not think to question at that point in time. After all the inspection was done, we got our team in to start the restoration process. That was when weird things start to happen. At first, they were just small things that we could brush off as coincidence, like our company vehicles breaking down in the middle of the road and always at the same spot near the water tank. One vehicle I can understand, but for a series of such breakdowns, it is weird because we have regular vehicle maintenance checks. When we called the mechanic down to fix the problem, they couldn't find any problems. Left with no choice, we had to tow the vehicles back to the city. But Once the vehicles were out of the area, it can function normally again. This happened too many times for it to be a coincidence. It's not just the vehicles; other machineries would also break down. At this time, it was clear to me that something was preventing us from doing our work. Hence, every day before we start work, we would light up joysticks and put some simple offerings to pray to the spirits to ask them to leave us alone. We're just doing our work. Please let us do this in peace. We would say. After making these daily offerings, things slowly started getting back to normal. 
and everything ran smoothly until a few months later. While working on clearing the excess road, we found a massive river stone, the kind of stone that is usually found in the river that's very smooth in the middle of the road. And it was a size as big as a car. Professionally, I cannot account for how a river stone could find its way to this location. If there was a massive flood or storm, there would be evidence of other debris in the area, but there was none. The usual protocol for clearing blockages would be to blast it, but in this case, none of the staff the crew members are willing to do it. This could be the home of some spiritual entity, and it's probably what has been causing all the electronic failures. So, I brought in a friend to have a look. This friend is a Dayak, a native of Sarawak. He has the ability to see things. Some people call it the third eye. In his Dayak tribe, he's a respected shaman. Amongst his peers in this industry, he is a qualified practicing engineer. He's legit. I brought him into the site with me to have a look. He studied the rock briefly and said, It's okay to blast it away. Most of us were surprised and weren't sure how to react. We thought he might be joking with us, but a part of us were also quite relieved that there was nothing supernatural about this rock. But that sense of ease did not last long. The shaman engineer Dayak friend of mine asked if he could take a look around the place. We thought that was an odd request but considering that he is an engineer, we did not question his intent. So I took him around the place and explained to him about the project and he was taking photos in certain room and corners until we reached the water tank. And that's when he said, let's go. Let's go back to the rest of the crew. I sense fear creeping back. There's something more to this place that my friend isn't saying. We walked back to the crew area in silence. When we arrived, he told all of us to gather into our various transportations and head straight to Lundu town. One look at his face and none of us questioned him. We all left the place and settled down in a coffee shop when it's bright and feels so much safer than back at a power plant. And that's when he showed us a photo of what he took. At the wall near the water tank, a gap. There's a gap that allowed excess water to flow out. He circled the photo and said, Do you guys know that when we were there, there's a Pontiana, a very ferocious one, looking at us through that gap. At this point of talking, he was still breathing shakily, and we know he would not put up a lie just to scare us during broad daylight. So we asked him what we should do. He then asked us to put a pause on the work and mentioned that he would seek help from another tribe named Seleko that lives around the area which is also near to the border of Kalimantan, Indonesia. And this tribe is also well known for the magic practices and ability to negotiate. Of course, I told him we cannot put pause on this project. We have already been delayed for so many months. So that night itself, we went to find his friend and brought him down in the dead of night to negotiate with the ferocious Portiana. When we came back to the worksite again, the tribe's representative negotiated with the Pontiana. He asked her what was needed to be done so that the project could be completed. And guess what the Pontiana asked for? A human life. After a long negotiation that involves lots of rituals and noises and drums and lights and chanting, it ended up with us offering three pigs, six chickens, six ducks and other smaller offerings. But in the negotiation, 
the Pontiana was not asked to leave. It was only asked to leave us alone till the project is completed. After the project was completed and handed over to the client, I never set foot there. You are listening to Supernatural Confessions. Whatever you don't see, doesn't mean it is not there. Now moving on to the next story is from Gerard Tan, entitled "Man and His Catch at Dirty Sembawang Beach." Sembawang Beach is a beautiful and generally a clean beach that is great for family picnic or outing. It is also a good location for fishing where the muddy seabeds during low tide can yield good catch such as prawn and crab. Despite this, not many beachgoers and anglers would stay when the sun sets, unlike other beaches. Reason for the deserted beach at night vary, but a popular rumour is the beach is haunted. How true is this? Three fishing enthusiast friends of mine would meet quite regularly to fish anyway. They would hear scary stories about the beach, but also would dismiss it until one of them experienced an incident firsthand late last year. Here I shall name them A, B, and C. It was one weekday afternoon when they decided to cast net in waste level water during low tide to catch some prawns. According to B, few beachgoers were there that afternoon, but the place was almost deserted later in the day. As late evening approached and hours into their casting, both A and B decided to rest on the beach to have a puff. C continued in the water for more prawns. Far on their left, an old Chinese uncle was seen strolling slowly along the beach towards them. Both of them didn't pay any attention to him until he unexpectedly stopped in front of them. Go other place to fish, said the uncle. Immediately after, he walked on. Both of them didn't think about anything unusual, nor did what the uncle told them to do. Not long after, C was suddenly heard yelling out loud and screamed continuously. Both looked up and saw C scrambling out of the water and struggling to run up as though he was being chased by something frightening. C couldn't run up straight up towards them. His legs probably turned soft and couldn't hold up. Also, the cast net that was tied to his wrist at one end to avoid losing it into the water was not with him. Startled and sensing C was in trouble, both stood up quickly. Despite C being dark complexion, B saw in his face a tinge of paleness and deep fear whilst panting. He was probably trying to run out of the water towards them as quickly as he could. In front of both of them, C was trying to utter some words to them but couldn't speak much as he was shivering in fright. 
But both of them thought they hear him say, Got chicken! Got chicken! What chicken? He asked. Si soon managed to tell them that his net caught something huge and it turned out to be a live rooster struggling to escape. What? Alama! Why? How come? It was all confusion, panic, excitement and so much other emotion all rolled into one at that moment. It was commotion amongst themselves, yet momentarily they were stunned to learn of such an unexpected catch. Si soon managed to share more of his catch. He said he felt the intense struggle inside the cast net, thinking he caught a huge fish. As he slowly pulled out the net, he saw a creature with feathers and legs, and it wasn't a fish. Soon the creature was in his full sight. He was excited initially, probably pleasantly surprised to realize it was a huge rooster. He remembered clearly the rooster had unusually huge feet. In that split second upon reflection, C realized something was wrong and got frightened. Way got chicken in the water, he thought. And then wild imaginations ran through his mind quickly. Ghost! Ghost! Run! Run! He reacted and ran, but more like wobble out of the water. A and B didn't see any rooster on the beach when C ran towards them. C claimed he thought he saw the rooster darted back into the water after getting out of the net, but he wasn't completely sure. It was a frightening situation for him, and his mind was blanketed with fear. In an instant, all of them pack and leave. So, what could that rooster be? Chinese believe it is a water ghost. And after all, the place is haunted. And maybe we should all avoid the place. If you like the content here on the podcast, you are also invited to join Eugene and Kim at Supernatural Confessions Facebook page every Friday 10pm Malaysia and Singapore time where they will discuss, dissect and go deeper in details on your confession and I'll be waiting for you there. What is it about Marudi and its districts that attracts ghosts and spirits to roam its grounds, frightening the pens out of those who saw the apparitions and scaring the weeds out of those who hear such stories? Is it because Marudi's storied bloodletting past where rival tribes hacked each other down in their quest to achieve territorial supremacy? Or due to World War II Japanese brutal execution of their enemies that led to the release of these unhappy, meandering souls? Happily, I've never seen a ghost, and I don't have the eyes to see it, even if it was standing right in front of me. These are stories recounted by people close to me, which gave me reasons enough to believe that maybe ghosts do exist for real. The tall, leggy ghost giant of Longan Bunut, seen by my father and his travelling medical team when their longboat anchored overnight at the lake of Longan Bunut. 
it was scary sight of a tall, long-legged figure with laser-red eyes walking across the lake with slow, long strikes. Whether it was a ghost or a jinn, my father is way too serious a person to make up stories about this creepy incident. His story is also backed by others who encountered the same entity at the lake. Just don't wear anything red, your underwear included, when visiting this touristy lake. Don't ask me the reason why, asked that long-legged jinn of the lake. The second story, the floating head of a laughing ghost at a poco ara near Chonghua Primary School. Accounted by my wayward brother John, he always played truant from school, frolicking daily in the river Baram, and at night sleeping at the Marudi open-air market with his gang of fellow juveniles. My brother is now a doting grandpa and a good family man. He had all the best fun then. The Ara or Kara tree is reputedly a ghost magnet, a place where ghosts supposedly like to reside. The tree was perched over a long flight of concrete steps built on a slope that led to Chonghua Primary School and to our nearby quarters. Walking home close to midnight, my brother saw the head of a ghost floating beside the tree just as he was going up the steps. It seems to be laughing down at him. What a happy, jovial ghost. Frightened, he ran back to town and was lucky to run into a Malay neighbor, Abdul Aziz Ali's and Nene's father, who I know than myself. He was on his way home, equally frightened by the story told by my brother, but strengthened and comforted by each other's company. They bravely hurried to walk past the tree and the ghost. When we opened the door to loud, frantic knocks, we saw the two of them, pale, white, and shaking all over. One from actually seeing the ghost, and the other from hearing the story from my shocked, babbling brother. Composing himself, my Malay neighbor barely managed to squeak. ada naga hantu tadi, pointing to my brother and the faraway haunting tree. Now, do I believe what my brother saw? Of course. As naughty as he was, his natural reaction was too real to fake. He was shaking all over like a leaf. Others have reported seeing full-bodied ghosts dressed in white sitting on the tree branch. Funnily, a bachelor relative, Michael Rehab, who stayed in the house quarters next to this haunted tree, never saw nor ever told us anything unusual about this tree. The force must have been strong with him. The third story. Things that went bump in our quarters. We were in Marudi for close to three years, from end of 1967 to June 1970, and we moved houses three times, each time due to things that went bump in the night or just gave us the creeps. However, we endured them all in the last house that we stayed in. Asking to move houses again would be tantamount to a red card and an unhappy civil servant who had to process another house transfer application with the same reason. Kena kacau hantu, disturbed by ghost. Our first house was only 50 walking steps from the back entrance of the Marudi General Hospital, close enough to receive all the negative chi from the hospital wailings and cries of death 
depression and hopelessness can be heard by us from inside the house. My mom couldn't stand the bad vibes as she felt something wasn't right with the house. She always felt a presence there. We exchanged the quarters with a group of bachelors who stayed at a house near the Marudi Airstrip. The bachelors were happy to exchange for a bigger house, but they conveniently left out this part. Their house was also spooky. Exchanging one spooky house for another was a really bad deal. So moved we must, this time to a quarters near Chonghua Primary School. But there was a big Chinese cemetery behind the house. And it was not far from that Poco Ara that later revealed its ghost to my brother. So probably we were living in a ghost zone. A few things happened at this house. One, an incident where my uncle saw my fully asleep brother floating a few feet from the floor on one night where everyone else was sound asleep. Was he imagining things? He claimed to be fully awake when he saw this strange phenomenon. Two, a bad dream that felt so real and it happened to me in my dream. I saw my mom washing clothes in the bathroom exactly as she would normally do every day. Her back was towards me when I called out to her for something, but when she turned around to answer me, it was a face of an evil-looking ghost staring at me. I woke up in cold sweat from the shock. It felt so real. The window at the back of the kitchen opens up to a grand view of the Chinese cemetery with some gravestones just a few feet away. A few Japanese war graves was also there, somewhere there. Now, there was this new road cutting to the cemetery around from behind Chonghua Primary School leading down to Kampong China. Wonder if it was a ghost from the cemetery that decided to visit me in that dream. Thirdly, whenever there was a burial in the Chinese cemetery that night before, our outdoor clothesline would vibrate like guitar strings as if a strong gust of wind blows over them, making them sound like Kring, Kring, Kring. And the next day, a Chinese funeral possession would take place. Was the dead spirit passing by our house the night before? just to check out its new resting place at the cemetery? Or was it the Grim Reaper coming by to choose its soul? You tell me. Lastly, the mysterious loud knocks of noise coming from the ceiling of the living room. It has never been satisfactorily explained whether it was caused by a rat, a big gecko lizard, or a wayward bird. The opening between the roof and the wall was too small for any animal to squeeze in. My parents and grandparents just kept quiet about it as if to acknowledge that some things are better left unsaid or explained. Was it caused by a poltergeist spirit from the Chinese cemetery? A ghost that can cause things to move and make noises? Well, there could have been more creepy encounters to tell, but we left Marudi soon after and back to normalcy in Miri where nothing spooky ever happened. Not even a peep. Believe it or not, I would be happy if any paranormal team could investigate the sightings at Logan Banan and the one at Ara Tree, as well as the site of that former government quarters now demolished behind a post office, reputed to be the most haunted house in all of Marudi. The findings could either be revealing or a letdown, but I would give it a ghost of a chance that these things really happen.
Logan Bunut. I'm sure a lot of Miriams will find that name very familiar. So the story from Marudi will be the end of this episode of Supernatural Confessions podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please rate us with a 5-star review on whichever platform that you are streaming this podcast on. If you just wanted to drop a text that you enjoy this podcast, you may do so on our Facebook page. And we would appreciate the love by you sharing it with your friends and family about this podcast. You can find more of our content on YouTube, Facebook, and also our website. The keyword to search is Supernatural Confessions. If you or someone you know have a confession to make, visit supernaturalconfessions.com. You can send it in text, voice memo, and even better, you can arrange an interview on video with us. Let us know if you want your identity to be kept secret. Supernatural Confessions is created by Eugene T. Until the next episode, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Kim, your host for this podcast series, signing off with, whatever you don't see, doesn't mean it is not there.